Father, we are so grateful that you love us. Despite all the things that we have done and all the things that we will do, you love us. Those of us who are your children, who know you, who are known by you, we thank you for your love and the salvation that you bring to our hearts and to our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak this morning. As we open up your word, that we will be transformed, not just informed. In the holy and precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, I, I've often talked about being semi the youngest uh, kid in my family. Uh, once my dad remarried, my stepsister became the youngest, and she's basically my sister. But out of the biological kids, I am the youngest. And, you know, sometimes as the youngest, you're pretty annoying. Uh, sometimes as the youngest, you just tag along with your siblings, and that was me. I was, I was annoying, and I wanted to be with my You guys can't believe that I was annoying, can you? None of you believe. They're like, that's not true. It was true. All right? And, and so as the youngest, I always wanted to belong with my siblings. They were a little bit older than me. My sister was four years older, five years older, and my brother was three and a half years older. So I was the young, 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 annoying one. And I would always allow them to, like, do crazy things to me. I would sit in the middle, and we would play what we called dummy, where they would just use my hands. I would go limp, and they would often make me slap myself in the face or pick my nose. And I was like, you know what? They're laughing. I'm cool right now. I have a belonging for them. They, they think I'm cool. Well, I mean, picking your nose and getting slapped in the face isn't really that cool, <laughs> but I thought so. And, and there was this deep intrinsic thing within me as a human to belong. I believe that the heart cry of humanity is belonging. The heart cry of humanity is belonging. If you were to take a psychological evaluation of many people, the one thing that is driving many humans is this sense of desire to belong. I want to know that I matter. And when I belong, I feel like I matter to other people. When I belong, I, I feel as if I have a purpose in life. Belonging is a very important aspect of humanity. In fact, as I said, I believe it's the heart cry of humanity. Today we're going to see from the book of John how this plays out. This is the importance of belonging as we look at relationships of belonging. Because belonging is so important. And I believe that this idea is going to encompass our entire mission and vision. Where we're going to unpack the story in the book of John and see how it wraps into our mission and vision as well as this idea of being known by God and knowing God and making Him known. I believe it encompasses all of it, this idea of belonging. And as Christians, many times we can create what I like to call Christian cliques. Right? Where we don't spend time with people outside of the church. We spend a lot of time with people in the church. And that's not bad. We, we need to have relationships. But we also need to be in the world. Not of the world. But many times we see people who are still stuck in their sins and we shun them. We push them away. Or as we talked about several weeks ago about being a church of refuge. We need to be a people who welcome, who love those who are not like us. But often we don't do that. We have these barriers. But we need to create a space where belonging happens for believers and unbelievers. We need to have a space that is for those out there as well as those in here. And so we're going to look at how 
we can build relationships of belonging. That's the question that we're going to be answering. How do we build relationships of belonging? We're going to be looking at John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Now, you'll, you'll recognize in your Bible very quickly that it, there are brackets that are surrounded around this particular portion of Scripture. And those brackets, if you look in the footnote, especially the ESV, my favorite, it's always going to be there. There's going to be a footnote that says that this particular portion of Scripture was not in the earliest manuscripts. But that doesn't mean that it's not as important when it comes to the Word of God. The canon is the canon. And there can be what seem to be inconsistencies within the Scripture. And if you want to talk about those inconsistencies in depth, I know someone who's been studying them deeply. His name is Matt Hennigan. And you can find him and talk to him. He has all kinds of great information about these seeming inconsistencies and how they actually don't change anything about the Word of God. So, John chapter 8 Verses 2 through 11 says this, Early in the morning, he, that's Jesus, came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, one that I have chewed on time in and time out. Because it is one of those aspects, those scenarios of Jesus' life that challenges us deeply. That challenges us to look at who Jesus is. And we see this aspect of Jesus bringing this woman into a relationship of belonging. And he answers for us the question, how can we do the same? This is a familiar passage. Many of you have read several times, I'm sure, in your life. And I know for a fact that when we walk through the book of John, I preached on this passage way back when. But this is an important aspect of how we as a church are to be a church that aspires to proclaim the gospel, to be a refuge, and to restore relationships with God and others. It's also important when we look at how we are to be a people who know God, are known by God, and make God known. All of that can be wrapped up in this passage. And I think the first thing that we can see in order to build relationships of belonging is that we need to point out sin without sinning ourselves. Point out sin without sinning ourselves. What do I mean by that? Take, take a look at this story. Really quickly, you can read through it and not capture the full picture of what's going on. 
These Pharisees were purposefully trying to test Jesus. They were purposely setting up a scenario to be able to put charges against him. They did not like Jesus. Jesus was stepping on their toes. Jesus, the way in which he lived as a rabbi, was frustrating them deeply because he was doing things that you're not supposed to do as a rabbi, as a teacher. And he was walking around saying things like, I am, where they recognize he's trying to talk about his own deity. This is not a man that we want to be alive or to be out in the open. He's dangerous. So they were trying to set up a scenario. Now, you have to ask yourself the question, how does a group of men catch a woman in adultery? How do they do it? Well, most commentators believe that these Pharisees gave a man money and said, you know what, we're going to pay you You can go ahead and have sex with this woman that is not your wife. You will not be stoned. We will not bring you into the scenario or the process at all. And we will absolve you of your sins. We will go to the priest and have them take care of this for you. That's pretty crazy. That's exactly what they did, however. Because they were told at where the house was, they were told at this room and the space where this woman would be, and they went in and they dragged her out of bed naked and threw her before Jesus and said, this woman was just caught in the act of adultery. I mean, it's not like you're walking around houses, knocking on doors and saying, are you having an adulterous affair right now? No, they had set this up. This was a setup for Jesus. They were sinfully pointing out this woman's sin. They were blind to the aspect of what they themselves were doing because they were so frustrated with Jesus. They were so frustrated that he was getting a group of people following him and disciples that they had to figure out a way to get him in trouble. These men were sinfully pointing out a sinner, hoping to get her stoned while ignoring their own sin. But how often do you and I, we we look at that picture, we say, that's ridiculous. We would never set something up like that. But how often do you and I, when we try to point out someone else's sin, we do so in sin ourselves? Rather than a purposeful aspect of love, seeking to see this person restored to Jesus in right relationship, there can be some kind of intrinsic desire to get them in trouble to point out their mess and and to ignore our own mess. But when it comes to the reality of trying to build relationships of belonging, we need to check your heart timing and tone when calling out sin. Check my heart, check your heart and timing and tone when calling out sin. One of the things that Hillary and I often talk about in, in our marriage counseling, when we talk to others about marriage or when we're in premarital counseling, we always talk about the importance of timing and tone. When it comes to having a conversation with your bride or your husband, you need to have the right timing and tone. If you're going to say something that is going to challenge your spouse, you need to have the right timing. Because if things are going bad in their life or they're really frustrated or their kids are making them pull their hair out, that's not the right time to say, honey, you really made me mad today. Right? In the right tone, right? There has to be this sense of, you know, we can't say, oh, you're really making me mad. No, it has to be gentle. You know, hon, when you said that yesterday, that kind of wounded me. And the same is true when we are seeking to call our brothers out or their, our sisters out on the sin that is in their life. We've got to check our heart. Why do I want to call them out? What is the purpose for me wanting to challenge that person in their sin? 
Am I gossiping about it over here and saying, wow, did you see what she did? Oh, my golly, I can't believe it. Someone's got to talk to her about her mess. Well, you're sinfully pointing out someone else's sin. In the midst of that, you're just as bad, if not worse, than the person you're trying to point out. We need to check our hearts and our timing and our tone when calling out sin. Now, uh, Jesus had a very beautiful illustration to illustrate this. And my son doesn't know this, but MJ, could you come up here, please? So Jesus, when he was talking about checking your heart, when he was talking about having the right timing and the right tone, he gave this beautiful illustration of a log and a speck. And so, MJ, if you'd stand over here really quickly. So this is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, when you're trying to call out the speck in your brother's eye, you have a log in your own eye, and you're trying to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. How often, can I really see the speck in his eye right now? If I try to, like, get closer, I, like, bang his head a little bit, right? And I'm like, hey, I see that. Ah, I see that. Ah, I see that thing. Right? Thank you. You can take that with you. Don't hit anybody. Right, but that's it. Yeah, thank you. Give it up for MJ. He had no idea I was going to hit him in the head with a two-by-four today. He's a good kid. But here's the thing. I mean, that's what Jesus was illustrating. He's like, when we try to call our brother out on their sin, and we're ignoring the log in our own eye, we're just abusing someone, whacking them in the head, and we're beating them up, and we are not doing anything good in the midst of that. So Jesus used a funny illustration. That's really funny. Jesus was humorous. If you look at some of his illustrations, if you really think about it, you're probably going to laugh. Because it's important for us to understand, Jesus used humor to make really big points. We need to check our heart, timing and tone when calling out sin. And we'll also see this aspect that we need to be people who live out and invite in. What do I mean by that? We need to be people who live out and invite in. Jesus lived what he believed. He lived what he believed. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was both God and man, and he lived what he believed. He lived out his beliefs, and when he did that, he invited people in to relationship with him. He went where the Pharisees wouldn't go. He spent time with the bad people on the other side of the tracks. He spent time with sinners. And it was assumed, wow, he's hanging out with those guys. He's really sinning. What a bad man. But no, he was loving people where they were. He was living out the truth of the gospel no matter where he went. And you and I are called to do the same thing. If we are going to seek to proclaim the gospel, remember early on when we started this series, it's about not just our words, but our life. If we're really going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, our life has to be proof of the transformation that we say the gospel brings. Because if our lives do not reflect what we say, we're hypocrites. And that's exactly what Jesus called the Pharisees, hypocrites. When you look at Jesus' life, the people that he called out on their sin most of the time were the Pharisees, the people who thought that they were okay, the people who thought that they were healthy, the people who thought that they were the best of the best when it came to their relationship with God. He said, no, you're wrong. 
You're wrong. You don't think you need a doctor, but you do. And these people who you call sinners recognize when they see me and they live next to me, they recognize their need for me. You didn't even see me. Now, when we live this way, that doesn't mean that we let people just fall into sin all the time, that we don't hold people accountable, because as brothers, we are called to do that. We're called to love our brother and sister enough to lovingly call them out on their sin and hold them accountable. But we need to deal with the log in our own eye first. If we're to live out the gospel truth, we've got to deal with the log in our own eye first. My friends, that is important. When we come to living out the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to consistently ask the Holy Spirit, where am I sinning? Where is the log in my own eye? Please, Lord, please, Lord, take it out so that I can live out the fullness of the gospel. If we're going to be a people who build relationships of belonging, we also need to offer belonging and not condemnation. Offer belonging and not condemnation. Look at how Jesus responded to this woman caught in adultery. He knew the mess that she was in. In fact, many commentators believe, as I had already said, that she was dragged out of bed and thrown naked in front of Jesus and all these other men. That it was right in the bed that they grabbed her out of and threw her out in public. So her mess and her sin were clearly able to be seen. But Jesus, when he steps down to talk to her, he he asks her, where are those that are to condemn you? And she said, no one. And then he said, neither will I condemn you. He offered an aspect of belonging. This is important for us to understand, especially when we deal with those that are not believers. We need to offer a relationship of belonging, not one of condemnation. We look at people where they're at in their lives, and there's this this, this sense of religiosity that wants to condemn people. And we might not even know specific people, but we see all this sin in the world, and we begin to have a heart of condemnation, where we condemn those who think differently, act differently, do things differently than we do. But we need to remember over and over and over again, the Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers. The only reason you can live the gospel, the only reason I can live the gospel is because the Holy Spirit is living within us and empowering us. Those who do not have the Holy Spirit will consistently live in and under the curse of sin. But when we see them and we see the people out there, the shunning happens because we have a heart of condemnation, not one of seeking to bring them into belonging. He knew her mess. Instead of condemnation, he offered belonging. Here's here's an equation that often happens in the church. And you know what? If we're honest, it often happens with other aspects of our life outside of the church and even among non-believers. Here's the equation that happens when it comes to relationships. Usually it starts with conformity. You need to conform to what I want you to conform to. You need to say what I want you to say, dress the way I want you to dress, act the way I want you to dress, and then I'll offer belonging. Once you conform to the the box of church or the box of my specific group, once you have that conformity, then you can belong. And and after you belong, after a while, maybe I'll begin to love you. 
And so the equation becomes conform, belong, love. But Jesus' equation is opposite. Jesus in this story starts with love. Because he sees her in her sin and he has pity in this moment. He has love for this woman caught in this mess. This woman who has lived such a horrible life that she is now ready to be killed. And he begins to write in the sand. You know, there's all kinds of speculation about what Jesus was writing. Some people say that he was writing people's names and then tagging their sin in the midst of it. Jacob, he beat his wife. Right? No one knows what he was writing. No one has any idea, but he was writing something. And then when he challenged those who were there, said, those of you who are, not without, who are without sin right now, go ahead and stone this woman. Because he knew that they had sins in their lives. And in that aspect, he was loving this woman, protecting her from the death that they so desired to bring. He changed the equation by loving and then offering belonging and then calling for transformation. And we'll see that in a moment. But remind ourselves, we must remind ourselves of John 3, 17. We love John three sixteen, right? That's something that we always quote, that he loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son. Right? We, we believe that. But the very next verse says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Man, that's a really important verse when it comes to us as believers. Because it says that he, his goal was not to condemn. His goal was to bring salvation. His goal was to love them, offer belonging, and then call them to transformation. Because you and I cannot be transformed until we are empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. And we cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered with the Holy Spirit until we come to a place of recognizing we need a Savior to save us from our sins. And it is His love that draws us into understanding what we need. My friends, this is important. This is a vital aspect of our belief as we are to build relationships of belonging. Too often, this idea of conform, belong, and love has been our heartthrob as churches. Now, I think that we are getting on a right track and in a right place as Indiana Alliance Church, but the Western church as a whole has the equation of conform, belong, and love. And people who do not know Jesus, they walk into this space and they realize, I can't conform. I can't conform to what they, they expect of me. I can't dress or act or talk the way that they expect me to. And you know what? They can't. Because if they don't have Jesus, they don't have the Holy Spirit. And they cannot be transformed without Him. We hold non-Christians to a Christian standard, and that is wrong. And when it comes to this idea of trying to bring people to faith, many times we try to argue them into the, the gospel truth. We try to make them see how wrong they are and how right we are. But in order for us to be a people who offer belonging and love first, we need to be a people that sees people as important. Because people must become more important than being right. People must become more important than being right. My wife will tell you, my children will tell you, I like being right. It doesn't happen often. 
Just ask Hillary. <laughs> but I like to be right. And when I'm right, I want you to know I'm right. You know what I'm saying? Like when you, if someone talks about the, a score for the Steelers or they talk past like all the, the different touchdowns that Roethlisberger was able to throw. And they're like, oh yeah, he threw five. I'm like, no, he threw six. Look it up. Right? Whatever it is, I mean, that's something stupid. But when it comes to the gospel, we want to say, hey, you know what? When it comes to theology, my theology is so on point and yours is so not. We've been seeing this a lot in the CMA. Right now, I have to confess, I need your prayers. We need your prayers as a denomination. Because at council, there are some things that are being brought up and people are acting a fool. They're not being nice. They're trying to push this importance of being right over the relationship that we have with our churches and with other pastors and our missionaries. It's getting a little bit rough. So we need your prayers. Pastors, by the way, aren't perfect. Just look at me. We're not perfect. So we need your prayers for this. But when we are talking about the gospel, people must become more important than us being right. People are important. One of the things that happens in evangelism is that people become to be projects rather than people to love. You know, I remember when I was trained in evangelism as a kid in high school, there was this sense of you need to go out into your New York City and bring people to Jesus. And when you bring someone to Jesus, write their name in your Bible. And when you come back, whoever gets the most people saved wins a prize. What? They were projects, and I was never going to see these people ever again. That can't be the way we approach evangelism. It has to be relational. I want you to see something very important in this passage as well. In the end, Jesus asks her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Here's something that is mind-blowing about this passage that many times we miss. Because Jesus offered belonging and love, and he protected this woman, and he challenged those out there who were sinning, seeking to stone her, his love for her exposed his deity. His love for her exposed who he really is. Because she says the word, no one, Lord, and it's a capital L. And in Greek, that is the word kurios. And the word kurios is also the transliteration of the word Yahweh from Hebrew. She is looking at Jesus and recognizing that he is God in that moment. When you and I love people, when you and I offer belonging to people, we literally expose who Jesus really is. This is true for what he shows, and you look throughout Scripture, as he loves other people, his deity is exposed. People see him for who he really is, and it's his love that draws them into this understanding. And if you and I are to be people who are little Christ, that's what Christian means, by the way, if we're to be little Christ, we need to begin with love. It is through our love that they will know whose we are. It is how we love one another and how we love the world that we will expose the true deity of who Jesus is. Because they won't see us, they'll recognize, wow, there's something more powerful behind this love that you're offering me. I don't, 
I don't know what it is, but there's something deep about this love. And that's when we have an opportunity to share the gospel. We talked about 1 Peter 3.15, that when we make Christ our Lord, number one, then we need to be prepared to have an answer for the questions that come. When Jesus Christ is Lord, we will live in a way that exposes Jesus to the world. And they will ask us questions. They will ask us questions. We will reveal God when we follow Christ's equation of love, belong, transform. You and I will reveal God when we love, offer belonging, and call for transformation. When we follow that equation, Christ is exposed in our lives. But it's hard. It's not easy to begin with love, especially when people frustrate us, anger us, drive us a little bit bananas. When we see all the brokenness in our world and wish that, you know, Christ would come and just annihilate them all. Because <laughs> one day that will happen. Christ will come with a sword coming out of his mouth and, and the Lord of Lords tattooed to his thigh and people will bow down and recognize that they were wrong. But our goal is to be a people who offer love and not condemnation to seek the salvation as many people in the world as possible before he comes again. That's our goal. That's our job. We're sent into the world. That's why we have right there in the back of the, of the church, many times we miss it, but it says you are now entering your mission field. When we leave this place, we're going back into the mission field. And we see this happen in our missionary work, the way in which our missionaries overseas work when it comes to mission is they do offer love, belonging, and call for transformation after those two aspects of the equation are in place. That is how we have seen missions work explode in the CMA all across the world. We are so much bigger globally than we are in America. And I believe that's partially because we're not living out the truth of the gospel while our missionaries and those who are found, finding Christ overseas are living this equation. You see, we need to understand the importance of loving, offering, belonging, and calling for transformation. And we do need to call for transformation. Point number eight is call for transformation after belonging. Call for transformation after belonging because without transformation, the person cannot be saved. Without the Holy Spirit indwelling them, they cannot be transformed. They cannot conform or be transformed into the image of Christ. It's impossible. And we need to remind ourselves of that because we can get all arrogant sometimes and think, wow, I'm so holy because of my own abilities. No, the only reason, the only way you can understand the Word of God or live the Word of God is because you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. But it's after we have this sense of belonging that we create love and belonging for this person and we build relationship that then we can speak truth into where they're at. Speak truth into the brokenness and the, the sinful areas of their life. Jesus did that very thing. He asked, where are they? Are they here who are condemning you? She said, no, no one is here, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, go and sin no more. Live a different life from now on. Because you've seen me. 
Because you have seen who I really am, and you have experienced my love, and I have developed a relationship with you, go and sin no more. There was a call to transformation. He didn't leave her in the mess. Because if we really love people, we will want to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We won't ignore the call for transformation. It just won't be the first thing that we demand of someone because they cannot be transformed without the Holy Spirit. I'll say it again. We cannot hold non-Christians to a Christian standard. We can't do it. It's wrong of us to do that because they don't have the Holy Spirit of God. It's important that we connect the dots on this. Once she embraced and understood the depths from which he saved her, her life was changed. Many people, and, and, and it's, I'm skeptical about this, but many people believe that this woman caught in adultery was actually Mary Magdalene. And if, if that is true, Mary Magdalene's life, she shows up on the scene, and she is a remarkable follower of Jesus. She was there at the cross. She followed him throughout. She was there when he raised from the dead. You see, his love, if that is Mary Magdalene, really changed her life. The gospel changes our lives. Jesus' death and resurrection changes everything. Our life is transformed. The way we live, the way we speak, the way we love is changed forever. Sinners sin because they do not know the Savior, and they are stuck doing so until they know Him. You see how all of this flows together? Knowing Him, really knowing Him, brings transformation. And Jesus knew her. We see in this aspect, because He knew her mess, He saw her completely, yet He still loved her. And she felt known by him. And if it was Mary Magdalene, she went and sought to make him known. She lived her life to tell the truth of who Jesus was and what he had done in her life. Because when we are transformed by the gospel, we can't help but talk about it. We can't help but live out and invite people in. You see, we are to be the aroma of Christ. We've talked about this before, about my kindergarten teacher with a really strong perfume, right? And when we live out into the world, we're to smell like God. That's not just some nice whimsical thing. It's the reality of who we are supposed to be, that we are to be with God, know God, be known by God, and live out the gospel. And the gospel equation is love, belong, transform. We are to love those outside and inside the church. We are to offer belonging and not create different, all, different kinds of cliques in the church, but to have a space where we welcome everyone, where we love everyone, where we spend time getting to know everyone. So we have the love and the belonging, and then we call for transformation. Because when you have a relationship with your brother or sister in Christ, you will notice sin patterns or things in their life that need to be lovingly called out. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Solomon says in Proverbs. And we sometimes need to challenge one another. Iron sharpening iron. 
so that we can be transformed deeper and deeper into the image of Christ. But we have so skewed the idea of this in our Western thinking that we as churches focus more on doing right than actually knowing God. We focus on moralism rather than the relationship with Jesus. I've said this before and, and, and we're about to close, but there, there is this belief system called moralistic therapeutic deism, MTD. And it is like a really, really popular way of following Jesus, which says this, that if I'm good, Jesus loves me. And when Jesus loves me, everything feels all cuddly and warm inside. And then, you know, God doesn't really need to be close in, in every aspect of my life. He's kind of far off where I say, okay, I, I, God's there, God exists, but I'm going to live my life. As long as I'm happy and as long as I'm good, I'm a good Christian. But see, that's a false gospel. It's a false gospel, because if you read the Bible, you'll recognize that there weren't always happy, clappy rainbows and unicorns for the early church. And it's not going to be unicorns and rainbows for you and for me as believers either. Too often in evangelism, we talk about salvation, but we don't talk about bearing our own cross. People go and say, hey, you need to believe in Jesus. That's it. He saved you from your sins. Everything's going to feel good from then on. But then we don't follow it up saying, you know what, when you do accept Jesus and you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, you are going to have to die to yourself and discipleship actually has a real cost. We need to recognize and remind ourselves of that aspect. And the importance is knowing Him. And when we come to a relationship with Him, when that relationship is restored and we have the beautiful intimacy that we are called to, our moralism... Our good behavior will follow, not because we're forcing ourselves, but because we love God so deeply. We love God so deeply. Both those inside and outside of faith in Christ are searching for belonging. The church for too long has not been such a place. But if we are to be the church that God is calling us to be, a church that aspires to proclaim the gospel, to be a refuge, and to restore relationships with God and others. And we are to be a church that seeks to know God, be known by God, and make God known. We have got to be a place of belonging. We have got to follow the equation of love, belong, transform. That is our call. That is how we build relationships of belonging. And that means that you and I are to be a person of belonging just as Christ was. It's got to start on the individual level. You know the saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And I believe that if we are to eat the elephant of being a, a church that is a church that we are called to be, it has to happen on an individual level first. One person, one family, one church. That is how we are to be a church of belonging. But you and I, we must first be people of belonging. As we follow Christ's example, may we live out and invite in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you loved us despite us, that you offer belonging into your family, and we don't deserve it. We are just like the woman caught in adultery, yet you love us. While we were still sinners, Christ died 
for us. This is beautiful. But often we neglect to live out the same equation that you yourself lived out while you were here, Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will so fill us that we will be people who love, just naturally love. And that we will be people who bring people into a space of belonging. And that when we see those who do not know you, and we love them and bring belonging in their life, that we will lovingly call them to transformation and that we will see the power of the gospel in their lives. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.